You ever get a feeling sometimes that God is just showing off? I feel like that this morning. God is so good. It's been a rough week for me. Um, I'll just be vulnerable with you. It's been a hard week. And uh, I walked in this morning, sat down, was just kind of bowing my head, praying, kind of preparing myself for, for what I do. Looked up, and I'm thinking, gosh, that voice sounds familiar. And there was Hannah up here. Buddy, thank you for that. Um, you can't imagine the gift that was this morning. I don't normally bring a handkerchief, but man, am I thankful this morning that God prompted me to bring a handkerchief. <laughs> but it really was, and, and even as we um, read the Lamentations passage that I went through with you all last year, last January, kind of resetting our hope, I was reminded of my main point in that message. And this morning as we were going through that, my main point was this, resetting our hope and going from hoping for things from God to hoping, for th hoping in God. There's a huge difference there, and it's life-changing. When we hope for things from God, we're standing we're standing, asking him, we're, we're hoping that he'll bless us. When we hope in God himself and he reveals who he actually is to us, it changes everything. And I hope that your hope, and I was reminded this morning to hope in him, not in the things from him. But this morning, I was blessed, blessed by God and so, so grateful well, today we are going to be covering a lot of, of uh, scriptural real estate. We've got a lot to cover, and, and we're going in Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 56, and that's a, that's a lot of reading, but as I was preparing for this message, it was reminded of who Luke was, and, and we've been talking about this through this series, this series of grassroots God of, of, of Luke and the account that he's writing. And he was very unique in his writing, especially in the Gospels, the four Gospels, because Luke didn't have a firsthand account of Jesus. His writing was based on interviews that he had done. His writings were based on eyewitness, conversations with eyewitnesses to Jesus and yet Luke comes to the same conclusion that people who were with Jesus himself came to, and that Jesus is who he said he was. And he demonstrates that all throughout the book of Luke that he writes. And what we're going to read this morning is, is pretty amazing, because the events that we're going to read about, there's four accounts that Luke is going to give us that he recounts. These four accounts, I don't know the exact time period that they happened, but we know from Scripture that these things happened sequentially, and they happened maybe in one day, which is going to absolutely be amazing to look at, that, that this could have happened in one day. But it's going from one event to the next event to the next to the next. And it literally could be 
a 24-hour period, a day in the life of Jesus. And it's really amazing. And what we're going to see from this passage, what we're going to look at is four incredible life-altering events that are recorded in three of the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke recounts all four of these things. And there are multiple eyewitnesses to these events, so we can, we can be assured that this is an accurate account of what happened. And I want for us as followers of Christ today to realize that these four events can also serve as a way to give us great joy, great comfort, and great assurance that Jesus is who he claimed to be. And he has, as he told his followers, been given all authority. In fact, in Matthew 28, 18, Jesus says this. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And we're going to see through the eyes and the pen of Luke this morning that Jesus undoubtedly demonstrates that all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to him. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 8, and we're going to begin reading in verse 22. I'm going to read these Uh, And I'm going to stop at the end of each of the four accounts. So we're not going to read the entire passage at one time, but we'll, we'll get through all of it together. Luke 8, 22. Now on one of those days, Jesus and his disciples got into a boat, and he said to them, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they launched out. But as they were sailing along, he fell asleep. And a fierce gale of wind descended on the lake, and they began to be swamped and to be in danger. They came to Jesus and woke him up and saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he got up and he rebuked the wind and the surging waves, and they stopped, and it became calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? They were fearful and amazed saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water and they obey him? I want us to notice something here, and that is the severity of this storm. Think about this for a minute. Who was in the boat with Jesus? Most of these guys were fishermen. Most of these guys had been raised on the very lake that they're on, and they understood, they had experienced that this particular lake was prone to fierce storms. This lake, it was not uncommon for for a storm to blow up because of the proximity of the Sea of Galilee, which is the lake that is referred to here. It's 700 feet below sea level, and it's surrounded by hills and mountains. And these winds come often. These guys were were familiar with this lake. They were familiar with these storms. They had experienced high winds and sudden storms. In fact, a lot of these guys, probably as young boys, were, were raised on this lake. 
Their fathers were fishermen. They learned the trade from them. They'd been on this lake their whole lives, and I think it's so important for us because it's easy to read this and think, man, these, these guys were overreacting here. No, listen to their words, their terrified words. Master, master, we are perishing. These are not overreactions of men who, who are experiencing their first storm. These are desperate cries of seasoned and hardened professional fishermen. So I want us to realize this. This in storm is intense. Luke uses the word fierce as he describes it to us. So then we think about it and we look at this miracle where Jesus calms this fierce storms. And also, I think we need to note here these men's reaction to Jesus' miracle. Jesus says to them, after he calms the storm, he says, where is your faith? I think so often when we read a phrase like that, we have a tendency to think Jesus is rebuking them. Jesus is saying, come on, guys, where's your faith? And that's not at all what I think is going on here. What I think is happening here is Jesus is saying, guys, where's your faith? The God of all creation is in the boat with you. This is an affectionate instruction to these men. It's an affectionate instruction because Jesus is saying, uh, in, in not these same words, but I feel like this is what Jesus is, is saying to them, I want you to remember this moment. I want you to remember how I calmed the storms because you are going to face many storms in your life. You are going to, to face some storms that are going to be even more fierce than this one that you just saw me calm. This event should serve as a reminder that when you face storms in life, Jesus has the power to calm any storm. been a stormy week for me, <laughs> and I was reminded this morning that Jesus calms storms. He's saying to you, he's saying to me, he's saying to the disciples here, I have authority over nature and all of creation. You are safe with me. And then the men, what do they say to each other? Who then is this that he commands even the winds and water and they obey him? I have to believe these guys are saying to themselves, okay, I've been following this guy for a little while. He's a really good teacher and he's done some pretty incredible things, right? They have seen miracles. They have witnessed some of these miracles, but this moment, this moment was life-altering for the, the disciples who then is this, that he commands even the winds and the waters to obey him? They're saying to themselves, he's not just a good teacher. He's not just a rabbi. This guy commands the winds. That account for us, if we believe God's word is true, should be life-altering to us as well. It should change our faith. God is a God of mercy. 
He wants to demonstrate that in the storms of our lives. Reading this should remind us of that, that any storm you and I are going to face, that Jesus can calm that storm. And and folks, we know this world we live in, this broken world that we live in, we are going to face some fierce storms. Jesus is saying to us in those moments, remember, where is your faith? Look to me. Trust me. I've got this. In this account, what we read in Matthew 28 at the beginning where Jesus claimed to have all authority over heaven and earth, Jesus demonstrates a very important point here. He has authority over creation. We look at other examples of this in Scripture, right? Jesus turns water into wine in his very first miracle. Water does not turn into wine. That, is a, that defies nature. He told the fig tree it would never bear fruit, and it withered. Jesus himself walked on water. He defied the laws of nature because he had authority over nature. Leads us to the next event, the next important event. And that event begins in verse 26. Let's read that together. Then, right after this storm has been calmed, then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when he came out into the land, he was met by a man from the city who was possessed with demons and who had not put on clothing for a long time and was not living in a house but in the tombs. Seeing Jesus, he cried out and fell before him and said in a loud voice, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for it had seized him many times, and he was bound with chains and shackles and kept under guard, and yet he would break his bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he said, legion, for many demons had entered him. They were imploring him not to command them to go away into the abyss. Now there was a herd of many swine feeding there on the mountain, and the demons implored him to permit them to enter the swine. And he gave them permission, and the demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they ran away and reported it in the city and out in the country. The people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting down at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they became frightened. Those who had seen it reported to them how the man who was demon-possessed had been made well, and all the people of the country of the Gerasenes and the surrounding district asked him to leave them, for they were gripped with great fear. And he got into the boat, and returned. But the man from whom the demons had gone out was begging him, begging Jesus, that he might accompany him. But he sent him away, saying, Return to your house and describe what great things God has done for you. So he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city what great things 
Jesus had done for him. Notice here, and, and, and I think this is, is so great for us to see, just notice how these demons immediately knew who Jesus was long before anybody else recognized him. As soon as he landed, they knew they were in deep trouble. They knew that their reign of terror was over. The reaction of the demons reminds me of what we read in James 2.19, where, where James says, you believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. Jesus, God in human flesh, was right here before them, and they were terrified. The passage also tells us that the demons implored him not to send them into the abyss. What is the abyss? I don't know that anyone is entirely sure what the abyss is. I think it's meaning, if we look at the meaning of abyss, it, it means a deep and a dark place. It could actually mean hell. It could mean just the, a general definition for eternal destruction. But here's what I know, and here's what the demons knew. That getting sent into a herd of pigs and being destroyed was better than whatever awaited them in the abyss. The abyss will be the ultimate destination for Satan and for all of his fellow fallen angels and these demons and other demons. Jesus will return one day, and he will send them to the abyss. But for now, for whatever reason, Satan and his demons are allowed to dwell on this earth, and Jesus does not send them as they request. He doesn't send them there at this point, but they'll be there one day. The other thing I want us to see here is the reaction of the people, the reaction of the people who are witnessing and hearing about this. They say, and all the people of the country of the Gerasenes and the surrounding district asked him, Jesus, to leave them, for they were gripped with great fear. Why? Why did seeing this man transformed from demon possession to, to a man in his right mind sitting and talking with Jesus. Why did that cause such great fear in these people? I was listening to this uh, passage being preached one Sunday many years ago, and I heard a pastor, and I forget his name, forget who, where I heard it, but he described it this way, and I remember this description. He said this, Jesus' power disrupts everything. And rather than being inconvenienced by having their lives and the lives of those around them disrupted, they asked Jesus to leave. And the reason I like that explanation and I resonate with that explanation is because we see that happening today. We see people, when they encounter Jesus or they encounter someone who is transformed by the power of Jesus, they are also fearful. They also ask us to get out of the room. That's not an unusual request. Because here's the thing. If Jesus has authority over my life, he also has authority over my will. And that doesn't fit in well with the you-do-you culture that we live in. Jesus 
when he has authority over our lives, when he takes control, has authority over our wills. Also, let's look at this encounter with the freedman because I think we've got something to learn here at the end because this guy's begging Jesus, let me follow you, let me come, let me be, let me be one of your followers. And Jesus says no. It says Jesus sent him away. Why did Jesus sometimes, Jesus would perform a miracle and he would invite people to follow him. Sometimes he would send them away. But why did it happen here? I think you and I can be comforted by the answer here. Because Jesus' power of transformation that was demonstrated in this account, in this man's life, had an eternal purpose. It was not just a momentary relief from this guy's situation. This encounter would impact eternity. His purpose, this man's life, his purpose that Jesus had for him was greater for him to go out and tell what God had done for him than it was for him to just come along and follow Jesus. Jesus says to him, return to your house and describe what great things God has done for you. So he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. This man's life had great impact because he followed Jesus' command here. The mercy that Jesus shows by not allowing him to follow him, but to go and proclaim what great things God has done for him. It reminds me of what the Apostle Paul said to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20, where he said, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. This account with the demon-possessed man, what it does for us, what Luke is doing for us, is he is demonstrating Jesus' authority over demons, Jesus' authority over the supernatural. Scripture tells you and I that we will face spiritual warfare in our lives. It may not be or look like demon possession as it was in this way, although I believe that still happens. But Satan and his cohort are still very active in the world. We can be assured of that. When we encounter evil, when we encounter temptation, trust that Jesus has all authority over the supernatural. We can trust him. We can rely on him. James confidently proclaims a great truth that we need to be reminded of. He says in James 4, 7, Submit, therefore, to God, but resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Because, not because you have power, but because Jesus Christ in you has power and authority over the supernatural. Then we move on. Verse 49, our third account where Jesus is going to demonstrate authority. 
Actually, verse 40, I'm sorry. And as Jesus returned, the people welcomed him, for they had all been waiting for him. This is right after he crosses back over the Sea of Galilee, and he lands back in Galilee. And there came a man named Jairus, and he was an official of the synagogue. And he fell at Jesus' feet and began to implore him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years old, and she was dying. But as he went, the crowds were pressing against him. And a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and could not be healed by anyone came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. And immediately her hemorrhage stopped. And Jesus said, who is the one who touched me? And while they were all denying it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone did touch me, for I was aware that power had gone out of me. When the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling and fell down before him and declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him. And now she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. I just, this is not in my notes. I just had this thought as I was reading this. I, I'm beginning to, are you, are you seeing a theme here? The word fear has come up in every one of these accounts. Everyone is fearful Jesus meets their fear by demonstrating his strength and his power and his authority. The opposite of fear, faith. Where is your faith? When you and I feel fearful, that is when we call on the name of the Lord of hosts who has all authority. Well, this account with this woman, I, I love, love this account. It's so encouraging because it's a reminder here that Jesus never reacts. He never responds the way that people anticipate he's going to. This woman is desperate. She has tried everything. She spent her whole life, she has spent so much money trying to be healed of this. And out of her desperation for her condition, she breaks every societal rule of Jewish law to get to Jesus. A woman touching a man? I mean, a woman who is bleeding, who is unclean, touching a man. Not to mention all the people that she's bumping into and touching as she gets to Jesus. She's making all of them unclean, according to Jewish law. She's breaking every societal law and rule here. But she knows one thing. She's only got one hope. Everything else has let her down. And that hope was that she had to pursue Jesus. She had to have a physical encounter with him. She knew this. She knew observing Jesus and just being in the crowd was not enough. She needed Jesus' personal touch. She threw caution to the wind. She was not concerned with what Jewish law said. She needed Jesus. For her to be healed, for her to be transformed to this condition, she could no longer just be an observer, someone who heard about Jesus. She had to have a physical encounter with him. 
It was the only way that she was going to be saved. Jesus' response is so, well, it's so Jesus. (laughs) Who is the one who touched me? Where is your faith? Who is the one who touched me? Again, not a question for admonishment of this woman, but a genuine desire to know this person personally. Folks, we serve a personal God who wants to know your name, who wants to know your heart. He wants to have an intimate, personal relationship with you. And then he refers to her at the end as daughter. This is just an affectionate and loving term. It had to to shock this woman. She was expecting to be reprimanded for breaking these rules and touching Jesus. But it was the final and the most important part of her healing, this personal encounter. That personal encounter is available for you and I today. Our full transformation, our full healing from our human condition will only come about when you and I go from an interested observer of Jesus to an active participant in a personal relationship with him, a deep, growing relationship, going from going to church to being the church, going from being listeners to doers, going from knowing about Jesus to an intimate and active relationship with him, we too must throw caution to the wind in order to do this. We must take a leap of faith like this woman did in order for Jesus to transform us and to fully heal us because that's the only way you and I will experience complete healing, completeness in Jesus sanctification. His response to you and I will not be a response of judgment and condemnation. It's about time. Where you been? No, it's going to be one of love and endearment. And, and, and what is the benefit of this? What will we hear from Jesus? We will hear a whisper, daughter, son, welcome. In this account with this woman, this hemorrhaging woman, Jesus is demonstrating a new kind of authority here. And it is authority over our weak and vulnerable physical condition. Jesus is showing his authority over sickness and over disease. I mean, there's so many examples of this in Scripture where we see this. I think of Peter's mother-in-law who was sick and Jesus makes her well. I think of the blind man by the road. I think of the, the outcasts of society in Jesus' time who were the lepers, the many lepers that Jesus healed, and, he, and many of them were healed by a touch. Nobody touched lepers, but Jesus touched lepers. And then our fourth account Told you we were going to cover a lot of scriptural real estate this morning. (laughs) One more account. Verse 49. While he was still speaking, someone came from the house of the synagogue official. Remember Jairus. Your daughter has died. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. 
But when Jesus heard this, he answered him, Do not be afraid any longer, only believe, and she will be made well. When he came to the house, he did not allow anyone to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the girl's father and mother. Now they were all weeping and lamenting for her, but he said, Stop weeping, for she has not died, but is asleep. And they began laughing at him, knowing that she had died. He, however, took her by the hand and called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up immediately, and he gave orders for something to be given her to eat. Her parents were amazed, but he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. <laughs> Here it is again. Do not be afraid any longer. Fear was present again in this account. Do not be afraid any longer. And then stop weeping. Stop being sad. There's nothing to mourn here. The God of the universe, the God of creation is here. Stop weeping. Again, these words of Jesus are not harsh words of correction for wrong behavior. Rather, they're soothing words of comfort and affection from our loving Savior. No fear. No weeping. What I love about that, no fear and no weeping, is that is a reality one day you and I will experience. In heaven, there will be no fear. There will be no weeping. But until that happens, our world is full of fear and sorrow and weeping. But Jesus is letting us know that when you and I face fear, when we deal with sorrow and we are sure to deal with fear and sorrow in our lives today and going forward, that we can be sure, assured that Jesus has all authority. We needn't be fearful or sorrowful. There's other accounts of, of this kind of authority that Jesus shows. It's his, he's demonstrating his authority over death. Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead after he's been dead for several days. Jesus raises the only son of a widow at his funeral. And then we think about this. Jesus himself, his resurrection, he overcame and defeated death, demonstrating his authority over death. Four incredible events, four events that should serve to be life-altering and faith-altering for us, giving us great joy, great comfort, and great assurance. It should serve to increase our faith. This account reminds us, these four accounts remind us and establish this great truth for you and I. There is nothing, nothing in our lives, either here on earth or in life everlasting, that God does not have authority over. There's no situation, there's no person, there's no physical condition, there's no economic downturn, there's no political environment or election cycle, there's no world crisis, there's no medical diagnosis, there's no human relationship 
There's no spiritual attack. Nothing. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one, have all authority. I'll remind us again, Matthew 28, 18, Jesus said it himself. He came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. How will we apply that truth to the next fear that you and I face, to the next sorrowful event that happens in our lives, to the next time things don't go as they're supposed to go. Church, let me ask you, where is your faith? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this account from Dr. Luke. Thank you for this account that assures us that you, God, are above all. Thank you that this account demonstrates that Jesus is who he claimed to be. Jesus has the authority that he claimed to have. And Father, because of those truths, we are your children, forgiven, cleansed, redeemed, saved. Father, I pray that these accounts would serve to change the way that we live, to change how we respond to to situations in our lives that don't go the way we want them to go. When we face any of these things, Father, I pray that our faith will be firm, that our faith will be true, because we know, God, that you will be in those situations. You never leave us. You never forsake us. And so, Father, we thank you for those truths. Change us. Change how we respond. Change how the the onlooking world looks at this and father may their fear be transformed into faith in the only way the only truth jesus and it's in his name that we pray amen